0: 1 Timothy chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows— For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan— If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows.
1: Before we start, does anyone know the score? Just kidding, I don't care. (laughs) football fan that's not me if you know me right nothing wrong with being a football fan but uh, that's just I like I I, I usually find out like after like at the Super Bowl party who's who's playing um, and so I happen to know who's playing today but um, anyways glad to have you guys here it's nice to see who um, loves Jesus more um, just kidding right only only people who'd be offended by that joke uh, are not here so um, <laughs> let's' Uh, we should probably pray right now, so let's pray, and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we thank you for a time to be together in your word and um, to learn, be fed, to be nourished uh, by the gospel, uh, by the teachings of your word. Um, and Lord, as always, uh, as there are things as, as, we, as we encounter them in your word, uh, might uh, challenge our hearts, might press to think, our ch- or, or to change, rather, our thinking, uh, Holy Spirit, would you Uh, just till the soil of our hearts uh, to make it ready uh, to receive uh, and to humbly respond. Um, We pray, Lord, uh, um, for uh, those uh, overseas, Turkey, Syria, just uh, um, suffering from devastation over there. We pray for our brothers and sisters over there. Uh, Ask, Lord, that you bring uh, healing. Uh, to your people, that you bring hope of the gospel to the land. Um, And, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would come quickly, um, put an end to the things that break our hearts, uh, that cause us pain, that cause us to ask why. Um, Lord, we long for you. Would you give us a clearer picture of who you are and how beautiful your gospel is uh, in our time together? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so there's a, there's a story I read about, about these two brothers who were entering the first grade together. Um, and uh, one of these brothers mentioned in class, the first day of class, that he was born in January of 1984. Um, so obviously this happened a while ago, right? But his other brother uh, says that he was born in April of 1984. Uh, same year, just three months later. And so the teacher, she's doing the math in, in her head, and she's like, no, that's not possible that can't happen. That's not possible. And the first brother goes, uh, no, like uh, one of us is adopted. Uh, and so the teacher goes, I just out of curiosity, she's like, uh, well, well, which one? Uh, and he goes, you know, we, we actually, we don't know because one day we asked our dad, uh, and he just kissed us both and said, I forgot. Um, Obviously, dad's a liar, right? Uh, he was lying. Uh, but I love his heart behind it, right? I love his heart behind it. I love the sentiment that he was getting at, uh, that when you're family, you're just family. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter how, how, you, how you entered into the family. What matters is that you're just in the family. That, there's no question about it. Look, Christians can never forget that every one of us was adopted into the family of Christ, Into the family of God. It doesn't matter how we got into the family. What matters is that we're a part of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of God's family. There's no question about it. And look, I think there's something inside of us, there's something inside of us that just longs to belong. Every single one of us. Uh, People who are, whether they're Christians or not, every single one of us, we just, we long to belong in the fullest sense of that word, belong. We long for family, When something's broken in our families, a divorce, a fight that broke out, uh, uh, just being disconnected from one another, there's just something about it where we know, hey, this is not how things are supposed to be. There's something in us that just kind of bugs us. Like families are not supposed to treat each other this way. It's not supposed to feel like this. This is why every major entertainment franchise has tapped into this, right? Star Wars, you get the pain of broken families along with the beauty of reconciliation. Lord of the Rings, the fellowship kind of evolves into this family of sorts over the course of the trilogy. And Toy Story, you got Buzz and Woody who go from like sworn enemies to like brothers by the end of the first movie, right? Fast and Furious, right? Used to be about fast cars. Nine movies in where it's like it's all about family. Even even James Bond. Even James Bond, the quintessential Lone Ranger special agent, in these last few Daniel Craig films, before, the, uh, before he ends his run as James Bond in those last few films, they added huge elements of family. It's a kind of toy bow on the whole thing. It's like, <coughs> it's like all the storytellers know that there's something in the human heart that says we were made to be together. We were made to be joined together. There's an even truer and more meaningful family that you and I have been called and adopted into than all these major franchises, and that's the family of Christ. Ephesians 1 says that in love, God predestined us through adoption through Jesus Christ. It's why Romans 8 tells us that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It's why we pray to God as, as our Father, And when you came to Saving Faith, you had this personal experience, right? Absolutely. You had this private, personal experience as an individual. You were saved and reconciled with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But what happened is that you not only gained a heavenly father, you gained a spiritual family too. You weren't just saved unto God, you were saved into his forever family. And you now have a personal identity and a new family identity. As the apostle John wrote in John 1 verse 12, he says to all who did receive him, who did receive Jesus, he gave them the rights to be children of God. So everyone who believes in Jesus now belongs to that same spiritual family. And throughout chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, uh, Paul gives Timothy some instruction on what family life should look like in the household of God. Here's a big idea for this uh, to this afternoon's sermon, the big idea is this: that because of the gospel, we are adopted into a spiritual family, where we are honored, cared for, and equipped for our good. So let's look at our first point. Here's a look at the first point of our spiritual family: we are to honor the saints in the family. Honor the saints in the family. Where do we see this? We see this in verses one and two. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, "Do not rebuke." An older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Now that word rebuke that Paul is using here simply means to correct or to admonish. Like when you have someone in error, when they're doing something wrong, and you need to like correct. Like that's what that's the sense of rebuke, right? I think we all kind of know that. And that's the context that we've kind of seen already in First Timothy, right? Uh, Paul's been writing to Timothy to to teach Timothy on on how he can teach the church in Ephesus on how to uh, conduct themselves how to live as the household of God, and and Paul has told Timothy, hey look, if you want this to be a healthy church, if you want this to be a church with a strong foundation, then you got to be willing to have some hard conversations you got to be willing to have some hard conversations with people who have, uh, for one example, been leading people away from the truth or engaging in habits of sin themselves. And so Timothy had to be the kind of guy who had some hard conversations. And what we know about Timothy is that he was a naturally timid guy who did not like confrontation. We learn that especially in 2 Timothy chapter one, and so look—it's possible. Maybe you know someone like this. It's possible for somebody that's got like a, a timid, uh, maybe more reserved or shy personality, um, a little bit more guarded. It's—it's uh, it's natural for a person like that uh, that when they do have to confront someone. Um, They're not sure how to do it, right? And their adrenaline kicks in and they get all worked up. Uh, Next thing you know, they're engaged in the conflict and they start mouthing off faster than they're able to think uh, in a way that could come across as like bitterness or look like disrespect or hatred or resentment or just a lack of love. But in an orderly family... Which is what God wants for His church here in First Timothy. In an orderly family, efforts need to be made to treat every single person to treat one another with the respect and honor that is due them according to their age and gender. And so that's why he says here: Do not reduce an older man, or sorry, rebuke an older man, but in, encourage him as you would a father. In other words. When you see an old man in the church straying from the faith or from the tr- truth or, or teaching things that are contrary to the truth, that are just outright wrong, look, I want you to be faithful to, to go up to him. I want you to be faithful to engage him. I want you to be faithful to correct him. But when you do, don't speak to him in this harsh sort of way and a demeaning way where you're looking down at him. No, talk to him, even though since he's an older man, talk to him as though he were your father. God has brought both of you into his family, and because that family life is best expressed in the community of a local church, you should deal with others respectfully according to their different stations of life. And so he's like, hey, look, this older man treat him like you would your father. I mean, in the event that you had to have a hard conversation with your dad, what kind of what, how, what kind of like respect would you bring into that conversation? You know, assuming he's, he's, a good, he's a good father who's, like, loved you well and protected you and defended you and, like, brought you up in the ways of the Lord. Like, for a father like that, like, what, how would you treat him? The idea here is, like, that everyone's, not everyone's the same, right? I think we get a lot of pressure from culture. It's like, hey, everyone's the same, and so treat everyone the same. That's just not true. It's not even practical, Paul's saying to Timothy, look, hey, not everyone's the same, so treat them according to their station of life. That's why he goes on to say, treat the younger men as brothers. Treat them as brothers. Timothy is to exhort the younger men as brothers, meaning as equals. Look, there's a sense in which pastors serve as like spiritual fathers who watch over God's family, right? Uh, there's other text scriptures that, that, that say that. But here Paul is emphasizing their brotherhood. He's like, hey, look, if you're pastor in a church, these other young guys in the church, those guys that are, like, around your age or, like, younger, treat them as, as peers. Even the younger ones, treat them as equals, as peers. Don't look down on them or talk down on them. Even if you're older than them, don't talk down on them, but treat them as equals. There's clear relational wisdom for a household here, clear relational wisdom in that, that younger men should be treated or should treat older men with respect. And that older men should treat younger men as equals. And when we do this, dignity and honor and mutual love is fostered and maintained. He goes on. And we see that there isn't just a difference between the old and the young, but also men and women. He says the women shouldn't be neglected when it comes to pastoral care. Sometimes they need to be challenged too. But when they are, they should be approached with the same type of care that you would as if she were your mother. Older women, treat them like you would your mother. That means they should be loved and listened to. You should treat them tenderly, protectively. They should be protected and cared for. And Paul has his own touching example of this in his own life. Uh, At the end of his letter to the Romans, he leaves uh, the letter with, or he ends the letter with a greeting. He says, Rufus, who is chosen in the Lord, uh, he greets him, and he says, and also his mother, who was a mother to me as well. And there's also a difference in how you approach not only older women, but younger women too. You should do so gently. This comes up for me uh, often in counseling. Like When I'm counseling like a younger man, uh, I sometimes use language that, that might be uh, come across uh, as harsh to some people. Uh, it's brotherly. There's still tenderness. There's still love there, but could be interpreted as harsh. When counseling a woman, uh, I won't use the same language as often. I can't tell her, like, seriously, man? Right? Time to grow up. Time to stop messing around. Right? Guys would be like, dude, you're right. Right? Girls would be like, Why are you being so mean? And it's it's not because it's not because they're 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 weeks necessarily, but because in the manner that we're told in First Peter 3, that that they're 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 delicate, they're gentle, they're to be handled with care. When my boys are hitting each other, and one of them finally runs up to me and says, My brother hit me. I'm like, all right. We'll deal with that. Let's have a conversation about this, like who hit who first, right? Let's talk about this. If I find out that one of my boys hit their sister, no conversation, game over, right? Someone's getting in trouble here. You treat younger men and younger women differently from each other. And Paul takes this one last one further by saying that you not only treat younger women as sisters, but you treat them as sisters, he says, in all purity, specifically referring to sexual purity. That means Timothy is to be respectful in his relationships with females, especially younger women, so that he can stay above reproach and and have integrity. A pastor without integrity, he might exploit his position of power. I've known guys who have done that and have had to be removed from ministry altogether. And we actually have reason to think that this might have been going on with other pastors in Ephesus where Timothy was pastoring. We see uh, certain words that, that, that Paul has for Timothy and 2 Timothy would lead us to conclude that. You see, Timothy is told to treat women with the same level of dignity and protectiveness that, that, that one would afford to their own sister. He says, protect her. Take care of her, All right? Don't put her in a vulnerable position. Don't, don't take advantage of her. See, there's a lot of relational wisdom here in the church, or for the church, rather. We're to honor the saints in the family. It's a beautiful thing when a church has people who treat one another as fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. Secondly, we're to care for the sufferers in the family. Care for the sufferers in the family. Verses three through eight say this, it says, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But he who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So here, Paul speaks about how a church family should be showing up for those who need special care. Now, he specifically talks about widows here uh, who need require special care, but, but when we're reading this, you can really apply this to anyone in the church who's in need, anyone in the church who is vulnerable, see, in my family, if we hired a babysitter, uh, we'd say Geneva, our eight-year-old, she can mostly take care of herself, right? Haddon, our six-year-old, he can take care of himself too. Uh, But Judson, our four-year-old, right, because he's the youngest and because, you know, some of you are chuckling because you know that he's the wild one, uh, there's going to be additional instructions for him because a good parent makes sure that the babysitter knows what all their kids need. And our Father in heaven has a similar concern for his own children, especially those who are suffering and vulnerable and in need. And so he gets right at it in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. What he means by that is widows who are suffering, who are truly suffering the repercussions of what it means to be a widow. A widow in need is a widow indeed, Paul could have said. The Bible tells us that God has a special place in his heart for orphans and widows. In the Old Testament, he's described, God is described as the defender and protector of the widow. In the New Testament, we're told that true religion, as we read earlier, is caring for the orphan and widow. You see, especially back then, orphans and widows, they were among the most vulnerable group of people. Because of the, the fact that they were the ones who were suffering the most. They were the, the most at risk of getting neglected, the most at risk of being taken advantage of. And so verse 4, he says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household that makes some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Paul is saying, hey, look, when you're ministering to people in the church, don't preempt their own family's responsibility. Be wise about that. Be wise. There's a lot of wisdom in that because ultimately families, especially Christian families, should bear the weight of of care for for their own people. It's one of the mechanisms that God has embedded into the very fabric of society to care for those who are in need. That's why he says that this is pleasing in the sight of God man, you guys are awesome at this. I know a few of you, uh, months ago, you offered to help, uh, help us take my dad to, to, to chemo uh, at his when he was going through his uh, um, chemo uh, late last year. Um, a few of you have offered to, to, to help me take him, and, and I, I love that about you guys. I love it about you guys, but I also know that, look, that's primarily my responsibility. That's primarily our family's responsibility, and if I, if for some reason, I found myself in the situation where I couldn't uh, because of some emergency situation that came up for whatever reason, um, uh, or or something like that, like we may have taken you up on that. But if I asked you to jump in for me because, like, I was tired or didn't want to do it or wanted to go to the movies at that time, like someone should slap me because that's messed up. Right? That's my responsibility. And so he says, hey, look, if a widow has grandchildren or grandchildren, let them first show godliness and then, you know, see if they can. But he says in verse 5, but she who is truly a widow, again, who is it's just a way of saying she's truly uh, experiencing the full effects of what it means to be a widow. She's left all alone. She's got nothing. She says, that kind of woman has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So someone who's truly a widow for Paul is a woman who has no one else to help her in life. No children, no grandchildren, no family to help her. Someone who's truly alone, truly vulnerable, and truly in need. And Paul says, look, you got to show honor to someone in that kind of situation. You gotta show them the dignity that they need to be given as a fellow image bearer of God and as a sister or mother in Christ. Provide special care for her. In verse six, he, so he warns, he says, but, but for the one, for she who is self-indulgent, uh, she's dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. Basic wisdom here. He says, hey, look, don't indulge People who try the game to game the system, right? Be wise with that. Be frugal with that. The verses imply that a widow who is self-indulgent and just takes and takes and takes and takes from others so that she can live it up, that person should not be entitled to the same kind of help as the ones who are truly in need. See, the mercy of God is not something that we are entitled to. That's why it's called mercy, this is one of the ways that church membership benefits a church family. It defines who of us is in, who of us is here, who of us is invested in growing in the gospel, growing in the grace and faith that we have in our Lord Jesus. I get emails sometimes from people uh, who 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 like are like all from from around the area or sometimes overseas that are like, um, hey, like, or they add me on Facebook or send me a message, um, and and they'll say like, hey, like you're a pastor, right? Like, you, you pastor a church. Can you help support our mission work in the inner city or in this African country you've never heard of? We've got lots of needs here. I mean, sometimes, like, I, I click on their profile, and they've got, like, seven friends. I'm like, that's kind of suspicious, right? Uh, just, just, just send your social security number to this Nigerian prince and things like that. It's, like, kind of feels like that, right? And so, um, but look, Like, we can't, we got to be frugal with stuff like that. We can't be careless with how we steward the resources of the church, the gifts and the resources and the finances. And so he says, hey, look, be careful that you're not letting those who gain the system indulge from it. Look now at verse 8. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Dang. Man, this is what some theologians have called a sick burn right there. Worse than an unbeliever. Because see, almost all pagans in Roman times took care of their family, even those outside of the church. Pagans, Gentiles, they they knew to take care of their family. And so to do even less than an unbeliever would be like denying the faith altogether, Paul says. That's why he takes this very seriously. I mean, one of the big 10, the 10 commandments, the moral law, number five is to honor your father and your mother. And so people who refused to care for their elderly parents or widows in the family or other suffering family members, he says, you're worse than an unbeliever. In other words, put your money where your mouth is. Walk what you talk. And for those who have no, no help, no one around them to help them in their vulnerable state, let's come alongside them. Sufferers should not have to suffer around, alone, especially in the church. And so we care for the sufferers in the family. Number three, we equip the servants in the family. Equip the servants in the family. It says this in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. Now, there are two ways that we could look at these verses, and I think they're, they're both kind of true and included in this text. And uh, the one way is, to make sh- is that he's saying, hey, make sure that uh, these true Christian widows, that they're cared for, put them on the list. But I think it's more than just that. I think the other way that's also included in here is he says that these women seem to have some type of ministry in, in recent history, some type of recent history of serving the church. And so this is for women who both needed help and we're also in this position of life uh, where they were able to help others. It talks about her reputation for good works, gifts of hospitality and service, and the way that she served and cared for others. This is a woman who doesn't just take from the church, but she's a participating member of the church herself. It talks about her being over the age of 60. That means that she pledges to serve the church in her older years, likely towards retirement age. She assists the deacons and the elders. She helps with different ministries. She's a prayer warrior. She's a counselor of other women. The point is this, is that the Christian life is never just about taking and taking and taking. This isn't a place for goods and services to be received. It's about doing good to others in the process too, growing together as a family honoring one another, supporting one another. The principle here is that when a widow is supported and cared for by the church, you are helping her to be in this position, taking her out of her vulnerable position and placing her from a place where she can now have the privilege to give back with her own gifts, her own gifts of service to the church. See, then Paul gives some strict warnings about putting those younger women. He says younger women, that's generally speaking. So it's not like all younger widows. uh, But there's a particular group of younger widows. My guess is that um, Timothy had written to Paul talking about this group of young women, and Paul was responding specifically to that. But here's what he says. He says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so he talks about the kind of widows, younger widows, and specifically the ones whose passions draw them away from Christ. And he says, when that happens, they desire to marry and so incur to condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers but also gossips and busybodies. Uh, general principle there is that when you when you don't have work to do, um, when you you keep yourself idle, two things start to happen: you start to get lazy. And he also starts to gossip, saying things, he says, what they should not. Verse 14, so I would have younger widows marry, bury, bury children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. Yikes, man. Why so harsh? Why does he use such biting words? Again, what likely happened is that, is that there were women that Timothy had talked about, And written to Paul about, now he was responding. And so while there were some exceptions to the rule, generally, Paul learned that in this church, young widows were, were prone to cashing out on the help that they got and then getting married so that they could get like double the income. Game in the system. Look, Paul's not against marriage or remarriage, what he's against is people being so drawn away from Christ by their self-interest, they begin to take advantage of the church, try to take advantage of the saints. It's when any kind of single Christian, and whether it's a widow or what have you, but gets so determined to marry that not even their relationship with Christ could stand in the way. And so he says we're to honor the saints, care for the sufferers, equip the saints in the family, get them to a place out of vulnerability so they can begin to experience the blessing and privilege of using their own gifts to bless others. Where do we get the means and the motivation to do any of this well? We get it by centering ourselves on the good news. Centering our lives, our hearts, and our minds on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul started this very letter. He started 1 Timothy by wishing grace, mercy, and peace to Timothy, which he said comes from Jesus Christ our Lord. And now, in 1 Timothy 5, he calls the church, he, he beckons them to offer grace and mercy and peace to the most vulnerable around them. See, Jesus, he's the one who looked at us. And even while we were still sinners, he said, I'm going to make you my family. I'm going to take you and my enemies in rebellion, and I'm going to make you guys family. I'm going to make you my brothers and sisters. He's the one who came to us in our helplessness knowing that we could never, ever work our way into God's kingdom. And so he brought God's kingdom down to us. He met us in our suffering and said, I'm going to make all things new, beginning with your new life, your new birth. When we were dead in the sins in which we walked, Jesus came to die in our place to die for our sins, absorbing the righteous wrath of God in our place on the cross. And through his resurrection, we are recreated in Christ for good works, good works that we should walk in, that he equips us to walk in. And so we care for the sufferers, honor the saints, equip the saints in the family. Because of the gospel, we are adopted into a spiritual family, one where those among us who are hurting can be honored, where they can be cared for, and where they can be equipped for the glory of God and the good of others. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning for meeting times and locations, or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.